Hey there, everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And this is Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we try to bring the best and most accurate information that we can. And this week, it's a very special episode because it's a very special day. Wednesday. It is Wednesday, my dudes. (laughs) As a callback to last episode we did together. Yeah. But this isn't just any Wednesday. It's Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. And as a married couple, who also our wedding anniversary (laughs) is February 15th. So uh, it's a special day for us. It is. Love is in the air. We're feeling romantic. And we have a a themed episode for you about that, bringing a couple of very romantic animals. Mm -hmm. It's my turn to go first this week, and I am bringing the trumpeter swan. Oh, very good. Yeah, swans feel like a very iconic, sort of like emblematic, romantic icon of an animal. You know, you see swans, you think ballet and love and... You know, the imagery it evokes for me is all mostly modern things. Oh, yeah? Like Like what? paddle boats and things. I was thinking that I've never seen a swan paddle boat in real life (laughs) ever in my life. I've never seen one. Yeah, it's been mostly a cartoon and a video game thing. I I see them in movies all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's always in some sort of situation where some pair of characters who are like... Like, clearly romantically interested in each other, but don't want to admit it yet. They have to go through some sort of side quest where they wind up in a swan paddle boat for some reason. Right. Every time. That is the only context I've ever seen a swan boat in. <laughs> Never in my life have I seen one in actual in person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, this <laughs> could be talking about real swans, not just the little swan shaped boats. I'm getting my information on the trumpeter swan from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's website, allaboutbirds.org, as well as the Audubon Society's website and the American Bird Conservancy's website, abcbirds.org, and the Trumpeter Swan Society's website. Wow. They have their own society. Now, this is run by humans. It's not like (laughs) a coalition of swans, like a self-advocacy group. Okay. That's not what it is. It's run by humans. Very, okay. On behalf of the swans, (laughs) being their voice. (laughs) Well, this particular type of bird uh, doesn't have any struggle finding its voice. Mm -hmm. This bird has quite a voice of its own. If you're not super familiar, this is a really big bird. They are up to six feet long. Hmm. That's just like, you know, beak to tail. Right. And over 25 pounds, which is quite heavy for a bird, especially one that flies. True. Uh, This is the largest species of waterfowl alive today and is one of the heaviest birds capable of flight Hmm. in the world. Pelicans are up there being very, very heavy birds um, that can still fly. And these birds are found in pockets throughout North America. Really? Yes. Okay particularly in large shallow ponds and lakes, kind of all throughout the like northern half of North America and up hmm. into Canada. They belong to the taxonomic family Anatidae, which are the ducks, geese, and swans. Makes sense. So swans are their own like genus, but they're related to things like geese and ducks. You can really 
see the resemblance to geese. Yes. For sure. And there are a few other types of swans. I think there's like six other species of swans. And the one that most people are probably familiar with is the mute swan, which is the one that has the yellow beak. Those are from Europe. Mm. This one's a little different. It's from North America, and it's the beak of it is just black. Is the mute swan the one that's also eaten? I mean... You can, like, sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I th- I feel like goose is probably more common. Oh, that's what I'm thinking but... of. I was just thinking, what is that phrase? Your swan is cooked? I no, don't think it's that. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's goose. <laughs> See, I can already tell I'm having a hard time separating them. It's okay. There's, there's some similar energy. Uh, we have only ever been acquainted with geese in a very adversarial sort of context mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, from where we lived, they were non-migratory and had gotten way too comfortable. <laughs> but still legally protected as migratory birds, and they knew it. <laughs> they knew there was nothing you could do about them. <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny I came across in my notes? Swans are often used to chase geese away. Because swans are bigger and meaner than geese. Uh-huh. So you can introduce them to like a pond or something and they'll scare the geese away. Okay, but now you have <laughs> <laughs> something bigger and meaner. <laughs> it's a little old lady who swallowed the swan situation. <laughs> yeah, so uh, now you have a, a much bigger problem. But that is one use for like domesticated swans mm-hmm, is to mm-hmm. control your geese population. Anyway... If this is your first time ever listening to this particular podcast, we rate animals out of 10. The first category is effectiveness, which is physical adaptations, things built into the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. I'm going to give trumpeter swans, I'm going to give them a 7 out of 10. Okay. Which, you know, is a little harsher than I usually do. But there are some things that stuck out to me as, hmm, they should have fixed that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> So, first of all, being huge, they are a massive bird. This is really helpful for them because it makes them pretty much invincible once they reach adulthood because not much else is going to be trying to, like, bother them. I even saw this video online of a a bald eagle trying to attack a trumpeter swan, and the swan won, walked away clean. (laughs) Yeah. So, there's, like, not much as that's going to take them down when they're adults. But there's a downside to it. So since they are so incredibly heavy, getting that much mass airborne Mm -hmm. takes a considerable amount of effort. It's not very easy to get aloft. So in order to take off, these swans need at least 100 meters of open water that they can use as a runway. And and I mean that literally a runway. Okay. Because while they're trying to take off, they're flapping their wings and they're gaining speed. And they're just like running along the surface of the water, (laughs) just (laughs) slapping their big old webbed feet down on the water. And it is so noisy and so goofy. (laughs) It looks so funny. They're literally like slapping their clown feet down on the water. It's not graceful. It's very funny to watch. And it's very dramatic. That is how they have to gain speed until they're going fast enough to lift off. Wow. And as waterfowl, their bodies are specialized for doing things like swimming and floating. So they're very clumsy and slow when they're not on the water. Mm -hmm. So if they're walking around, it's a mess. They are just like awkwardly waddling they have like a really sort of far back center of gravity and short little legs so it's really difficult for them to walk they can do it like they can walk around there's some 
water birds that can't walk at all, like mm-hmm. loons. They just fall forward on the, and they can't get up. Oh, no. So, so at least swans can walk, but they're not very good at it. Um, luckily, they don't really need to very much because they, like, they're dabblers. So just like ducks and geese, they feed by like flipping forward into the water and they stick their little booty straight up in the air. I'm surprised they have to go down that far. Oh, because the whole neck should just... Yeah. <laughs> Well, with their neck being so long, they can get into deeper water, right? Whereas mm. the ducks may need to stay in like shallower water. The swans can go farther out into deeper water because their neck lets them get down to the bottom. Oh. Yeah. So they can take advantage of like deeper resources than maybe other waterfowl might be able to because they're a long old neck. Now, here's something that I cannot believe I had never heard of before in my life because this is not specific to swans. It applies to like other most types of waterfowl. Mm-hmm. They molt all of their flight feathers at once. So molt meaning like shedding some sort of external structure. Like you may have heard of bugs having to molt their exoskeleton or snakes shedding their skin. Mm -hmm. Waterfowl have to molt their feathers. And rather than other birds who like lose a couple here and there, like maybe a few will fall out, a few will fall out later, they lose all of their flight feathers at once. See, I would not be able to identify what are flight feathers and what are not flight feathers. The flight feathers are the long feathers at like sort of the outer edge of the wing. Okay, so they're not like a naked bird walking. No, around. but they're okay. but their wings are naked. Okay. They look like like chicken wings, but like not like chicken <laughs> wings like on the chicken, chicken wings that you'd be like about to eat. Like sure. they look like stubby little naked T Rex arms almost. Aww. And they look ridiculous. <laughs> and this happens every year. Huh. Every summer they shed all of their... Apparently ducks do this too. I cannot believe my whole life. And we've been doing this podcast for so long. And this has never come up before. Huh. But I read this in kind of a funny context because the Trumpeter Swan Society has this little post on their website where they say... Being involved in the Ontario Trumpeter Swan Restoration Program, as well as a wildlife rehabilitator for trumpeter swans, I receive numerous anxious calls each summer when people haven't seen their usual swans, but they see a pile of feathers scattered on the shoreline. (laughs) They're worried that something has attacked the bird and are sure that there is an injured bird somewhere that needs immediate help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they put this like whole thing out there on the website to let people know like your bird's fine your swan is okay they just lost all their flight feathers. <laughs> stop calling us <laughs> <laughs> leave us alone about it <laughs> and this can be really scary because another thing they mention is that like when this happens people don't see the bird mm-hmm. the birds know that they've lost all their flight feathers and they can't fly mm-hmm. so they're really vulnerable this is like a time of weakness for them and they hide Like they will have an idea of like where they can go that's like away from people or away from other threats and they'll hide until their feathers come back. Mm -hmm. And they also say something that I find really fascinating is that when you have a mated pair of swans, they'll stagger their molting. So one of them will lose all their feathers. The other one waits until its mate has all their feathers back and then they'll molt. So they stagger it so that one of them can always fly. That's smart. And it also implies to me that they have some sort of control over, like, their molting process. Right. I I know that to some degree they're able to, like, when they're preening, they're, like, pulling the feathers out. Right. So they can kind of hit fast forward on the molting process. But Hmm. I guess to some extent they can kind of choose, like, I'm going to put the brakes on molting until my boo is is better. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty ideal, right? Because 
sometimes we get lucky if there's a cold running the house and yeah i was just thinking of that like when sometimes our like illnesses get staggered yeah (laughs) so that like i might have to take care of you for a few days but then you're gonna have to take care of me for the next few days so it kind of works like that it's like that thing about relationships never actually being 50 50 Mm -hmm. they're usually 80 20 but like you have to kind of (laughs) oscillate like (laughs) who's giving 80 and who's giving 20 today right so i thought that was really interesting i could not believe i'd never heard of that before yeah but like imagine if like all your fingernails fell off once a year i don't (laughs) don't want that (laughs) oh my gosh so that that kind of blew my mind a little bit and the last thing i wanted to give them for effectiveness is that the baby swans which are called cygnets oh which is really cute they are precocial which is a word that has come up a few times, especially when talking about baby birds, because there are two sort of different approaches baby birds can take to like development, right? So there's precocial birds, which are hatched pretty much ready to go. Mm -hmm. Like they hatch, they're ready to like walk, get around, maybe feed themselves. They can't fly yet, but you know, for a waterfowl, they're probably able to swim like really, really quickly within like a day or two of hatching. They're ready to go. Those are the cute baby birds. If you're thinking of a baby bird and it is cute, like straight out of the egg, that's a precocial baby bird. (laughs) The flip side of that is the altricial babies, which are hatched completely helpless. They can't do anything. They can't stand up. They are usually completely featherless. They need to be fed by their parents for a while after they're hatched. Actually, human babies are altricial Mm -hmm. because you're born just completely dependent on your parents. You can't do anything at all. And so when you think of a baby bird that is very ugly, (laughs) like, for example, pelicans or parrots or most types of birds that don't live on the water, they're Mm -hmm. probably altricial. But... Baby swans are precocial, so they are ready to leave the nest and swim within just like one or two days of of hatching. Not leave the nest, like go live on their own or anything like that, but they can at least like get around and follow their parents around. So baby swans are like ready to go. Hmm. They're totally set. The next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity, which is behavioral adaptations, things the animal's actually doing with its body to solve problems that it faces, things like that. I forgot to come up with a number. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, no. This time it was me. So kind of off the cuff, I'm going to give them an 8 out of 10 for ingenuity. Oh. And most of this is in their approach to mating and parenting. Mm. Because with it being Valentine's Day and we're talking about romance, I feel like this there's a lot to say here. Yes. So when a trumpeter swan reaches the age of three or four years old, they start to look for love. So a male swan, which is called a cob for some reason, like, you know how like a lot of times domesticated animals or like animals that you'll see like that humans have a particular relationship to, they'll like have a different name for a male and a female. The swan ones are so weird. I'd never heard them before. (laughs) The swan is called the cob and he approaches a female swan, which is called a pen Hmm. I'd never heard this before, so I don't know how common these terms actually are. But anyway, he approaches her peacefully. This is not like ducks do this a little more aggressively. Mm -hmm. But he approaches peacefully. He kind of 
bumps up against her to get her attention. And if she's receptive, she will turn to face him and they will press their chests together and they lower their bills. So their bills are pointing straight down, which is kind of how you know a swan is not about to bite you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like they're basically signaling to, to each other, like, I am not about to bite you. If they're pointing their bill down, you know, it's like it's like lowering your fists. Right? Sure. It's like you're not in immediate danger of getting bit. For now. But so <laughs> for now, indeed. But so since they have their chests pressed together and their neck arched downward and their bill pointing down, that is when it makes a heart shape. It does make like a perfect heart shape. It is really, really cool. There's lots of pictures of this. So they also do things like spreading and flapping their wings for each other. They like turn their heads side to side in this sort of synchronous. They look like they're doing like a ballroom dance. You know, that Mm. ballroom dance where you like you kind of press cheeks together and then you like back away and then... I don't know what the move is called, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's very elegant. They also honk at each other in a duet that... Okay, the concept, like the idea of it sounds so like cute and romantic. And then if you look up an actual video of this happening, it sounds like a traffic jam because they are just honking at each other, right? This is not like a beautiful like bird song. This is literally just like air horns. So that's actually why this particular type of swan is called the trumpeter swan. Ah. Because now I saw this, one of the websites I was reading said they're called the trumpeter swan because of their calls, which have been compared to a French horn, which (laughs) I'm like, well, that's not what you said. (laughs) It's a trumpet. Uh. Why is it a French? Then call him a French horn swan. Like (laughs) I'm getting mixed signals here. But yeah, imagine if you and I like, flirted with each other by just blaring air horns at each other we could do that we could (laughs) us in another universe (laughs) so if the courtship is a success the swans will form a pair bond that is usually for life Hmm. in a pretty uncommon example of true monogamy in which the same male and female stay together and breed together every breeding season for the rest of their life Hmm. they stay together not just for the breeding season they live together Hmm. like year round they always stay together now swan divorces have been documented Uh oh they are not super common but they happen that you can have a swan divorce maybe like if a clutch doesn't go very well they may try to split up and go find a different partner huh if the female dies, the male will often never seek another mate. Oh. Yeah, that might be the end of the road for him. The widow swan. I know. Poor poor guy. I guess I think the male is the widower, right? I don't know. I thought that had more to do with who was still alive versus the gender. I don't actually know. Hmm. I'm going to have to look it up. I don't know how the <laughs> word widow works. But yeah, a lot of times the male will not seek another female after his wife dies. It's very romance. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, there are a lot of videos online of like swans where maybe one swan had to be like taken into wildlife rehab because it had like an injury or something and they had mm. been separated for some time. And then they re-release one of the swans and they're reunited Aww. with their mate. And it's very sweet. They like swim right up to each other and go right into that like cheek to cheek dance. How sweet. Oh my God, it's so cute. It's amazing. <laughs> now, once they do have chicks, both parents participate in building the nest, which is huge and bowl shaped. The female incubates the eggs by covering them with her feet. 
which is very sweet. She's got the big webbed feet that she just right. wraps around him like a little little wet blanket, I guess. And then both parents do care for the young for the first year of the cygnets' lives, and they teach them things like their migratory routes and how to forage for food, honking, things like that, all the important <laughs> swan skills. The babies are actually like learning that from their parents during the first year. Hmm. And the, the male will kind of protect them. So the, the male will keep a little bit more of a distance from the chicks, but will make sure that nobody is like threatening the chicks. Now, swans in general have a reputation for being very territorial, especially during the mating season. There has been at least one human fatality caused, not by trumpeter swans, but by mute swans. Still, though. Yeah. um, I I read an article, a 2012 BBC article, in which uh, they said, I'm not going to get too into the details because this was only in 2012. Mm -hmm. So this was a little bit recent. But basically, a guy that worked for a company that did what I was talking about earlier, they used swans to keep geese away from like ponds and stuff. Uh This guy was in his kayak crossing a pond in a residential complex just outside Chicago. This was in Illinois, and he was taking care of these swans, Mm -hmm. riding his kayak over to go check on them. One of the swans charged his boat and capsized it, and then the swans continued harassing him so that he couldn't stay up above the water, and he drowned. That's messed up. Yeah. So, yeah, swans are known for being really, really feisty, especially when, you know, because that's the male swan's job is protecting his babies. Uh So he's definitely trying to keep you away from the nest. I found a very funny video of a trumpeter swan pecking and biting at a sign that says, caution, swan is aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) Did it depict like the outline of a swan? (laughs) That would be really funny if it showed like a picture of the swan biting the sign as the swan is biting the sign. (laughs) Well, I meant, I was wondering if the swan recognized the the shape of a swan and was Mm. reacting to it. Oh, that would be very good. I thought it would be like a mug shot. Like, (laughs) this the one. (laughs) Maybe we put it up in a bar, like he's banned. (laughs) (laughs) Do not serve this swan. Other swans are okay, but this one, uh, he knows what he did. And this brings us to aesthetics, our final category that we Mm. rate animals on. I'm giving trumpeter swans a 9 out of 10. Hmm. They are gorgeous. They're all white feathers and long, gracefully arched neck are just really, really beautiful. It's very, like, angelic. Um, you can definitely see why they've been used as like symbols of love. Now, the trumpeter swans specifically, their face is a lot pointier and more triangular than their cousins, the mute swans. And I think that this makes their face look like, um, it's going to be hard for me to describe, but when someone is doing a shadow puppet of a swan and they have their hand with their fingers together and like you do like your fingers in kind of a duck bill, that's what a trumpeter swan actually looks like. Like they have that actual sort of shadow puppet figure face, (laughs) which looks a little silly. And they have these tiny little beady eyes. I kind of think that mute swans are cuter than trumpeter swans, but that's just me. So I think a mute swan would get a 10. But a trumpeter swan's getting a nine. Okay. It's still, still pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Um, so this brings us to conservation for the trumpeter swan. Their beautiful feathers were unfortunately too pretty for their own good because throughout the 19th century, trumpeter swans were hunted for their feathers, but also for their skin and for meat. They were hunted to the brink of extinction. And by 1930, fewer than 100 were left in the lower 40 
48. So the contiguous United States. Right. All of the states except for like Alaska and Hawaii, but they wouldn't be in Hawaii anyway. So less than 100 were left. People thought at the time that that was all there were left. They thought there were just less than 100 in the world. But then in the 50s, a previously unknown population of thousands of Trumpeter swans were found in Alaska. So it's kind of like, oh, never mind. (laughs) We found them. (laughs) They're all up here. (laughs) They were all up in Alaska. So that was big news. And state programs were initiated to reintroduce trumpeter swans back into places like the Midwest, like Midwestern states where they used to be, but had been extirpated, which means they went like extinct in that area, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which meant some state departments even sent agents to Alaska to take eggs from wild nests to bring back for reintroduction. It's a death wish right there. (laughs) It was a risky mission, I will say that. They had to get some brave souls to take that one on. Um, Other duties as assigned, which may include being asked to go to Alaska and take eggs from swans. No, they don't want you to do that. Um, and then the, they would be like reared with decoys, right? So oh, you, this again. Okay. Yes, that's very fun when they like will rear eggs using like puppets mm-hmm. of a bird so mm-hmm. that the baby doesn't like imprint on humans. Love it when that happens. And this was actually a huge success. Their conservation status is now of least concern. Wow. Yeah, they're up into like 40 to 50,000 in the United States now, which is great. Uh, their current threats are now lead poisoning. Because swans especially can accidentally eat lead pellets Hmm. that fall into the water. might be from things like fishing weights or shotgun shells. Very common for lead pellets to be in those things. And then being dabblers, they may pick them up off the bottom of the water and accidentally Hmm. eat them. But also loss of wetland habitat and competition with mute swans, which have been introduced from Europe. Because the trumpeter swans were hunted to, like, nearly extinction. There were no swans left. People still wanted swans. So they brought mute swans over from Europe. And then now the mute swans won't go away. <laughs> so now they're competing with the introduced swans, which has led to a new, a new problem. What a fun motif this is. <laughs> yeah. It's weird how this keeps happening. If you are interested in learning more about native swan conservation, you can check out the Trumpeter Swan Society. I'll have a link to that in the episode description. And that's Trumpeter Swans. Thanks, babe. Thank you. Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the MaxFun Network, and then we'll get to your animal. My name's Doug Dugay, and I'm here to talk about my podcast in the middle of the one you're listening to. It's called Valley Heat, and it's about my neighborhood, the Burbank Rancho Equestrian District, the center of the world when it comes to foosball, frisbee golf, and high-speed freeway roller skating. And there's been a Jaguar parked outside on my curb for 10 months. I have no idea who owns it. I have a feeling it's related to the drug drop that was happening in my garbage can a little over a year ago. And if this has been a boring commercial, imagine 45 minutes of it. Okay, Valley Heat, it's on every month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Check it out, but honestly, skip it. These are the Chronicles of the Rancho Western District in Burbank, California. These are the events taking place in my house around my house. Hello, sleepyheads. Sleeping with Celebrities is your podcast pillow pal. We talk to remarkable people about unremarkable topics, all to help you slow down your brain and drift off to sleep. For instance, we have the remarkable Neil Gaiman. I'd always had a vague interest in live culture, food preparation, 
Sleeping with Celebrities, hosted by me, John Moe, on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Night-night. So, Christian, what incredibly romantic, lovey-dovey animal do you have for us this week? <laughs> well, this week I've got the love bug. Oh, you've been bitten by the love bug. Yes. Are you a Jonas Brothers fan? No. There's a Jonas Brothers song called Love Bug. I trust you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's Christian's code for, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, scientific name, Plesia Nearctica. I don't think this was submitted by anyone, right? A long time ago, my friend Dalton Weeks asked for this. Thank you, Dalton Weeks. Thank you, Dalton. It was a, it was a really <laughs> long time ago. I'm so sorry it took us so long. <laughs> we had to wait for Valentine's Day. It's not surprising that one of our Florida friends submitted that, right? Yes. Okay, I'll come back to that as to why. Um, I'm bringing information. <laughs> well, we're, we're coming back now. Information <laughs> from the UF Entomology and Nematology Department. Uh, the University of Florida. What did I say? You said UF. I was just expanding for oh, people oh, okay. who don't know what UF is. <laughs> and also Animal Diversity Web. Now, these are bugs. They are flighted. They fly around. They sure do. Males are six to seven millimeters long, and females are six to nine millimeters long, or about a third of an inch. They're like a medium-sized bug, I feel like. They're not like big enough to distress you, but right. big enough that you'll notice when one's flying in front of you. Yes. Uh, the males weigh six to ten milligrams, and females 15 <laughs> to 25 milligrams. I didn't think you were going to have weights for these bugs. <laughs> well, to give something to compare to, uh, females are around the same weight and length as a long grain of rice. Oh, yeah, they do kind of have that shape. And the shape, too. They are. They are pretty slender. But while males are overall smaller, they do have the larger eyes. The better to see you with, because they get to look at her. Uh, and they are found in Central America and the Southeast United States. Boy, are they. Yes. Um, and what's interesting is they were first recognized in Texas and Louisiana in 1911, but not seen in Florida until 1949. Interesting. Yeah. Did it just... Were they not there yet? They just kind of made their way over that way. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting to see like a range expansion like that just within the last hundred years. Right. They belong to the taxonomic family Bibionidae, which is the March flies. So something important here. These are March flies that they are referred to in North America and Europe. Okay. For our Australian listeners, these oh. are not what you know as March flies. Oh. <laughs> which is what we would call horse flies and deer flies. Oh. <laughs> no. Bad. <Yes. laughs> Don't like those. <laughs> very, very different. Yes. Different vibes. <laughs> different reactions from yeah. me. So that took a little bit of problem solving, doing a little some some cursory Google searches and oh, wondering I, why I was getting very different results there. I could see. Yeah, that makes sense. Horseflies are so mean. They are. They bite. <laughs> they bite so bad. And then they drink your blood. It hurts so bad. <laughs> Not these guys, though. So first category of effectiveness, I'm giving a 6 out of 10. They do have short lifespans as adults, mm. which is only 2 to 5 days for males, up to 7 for females. However, in their larva form, it is 3 to 9 months. Now, here's the thing they're most known for. Yes. They are often seen paired together in flight. Physically paired together. Yes. Connected rear to rear. <laughs> you can say butt to butt. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the kind of thing where it's a till death do they part or oh. shortly before. Oh. At least. <laughs> uh oh. Because they pair for three days 
and after separating, the female lays her eggs, then dies. Okay, some other animals do yes. this. Like octopuses do this. Like laying the eggs is kind of the end game of it's kind of the final quest. Right. So that's what they're kind of doing when they're paired is um, fertilizing the female's eggs to be laid for more love bugs. I had kind of imagined that was yes. what they were doing. <laughs> it is just surprising to me that it takes them three days to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and you would think, well, that's weird. Why are they always flying around? Yeah. So we are familiar with love bugs because during our lifetime, they've been very present in Florida, except for the most recent years. Yeah, that has definitely been like a topic of discussion among mm -hmm. people in Florida. Like, okay, a little morbid, but it used to be during like the spring and the summer, your car would be covered in love bugs. Yes. You would have to get your car washed constantly because it would be covered in love bugs. And that over the last few years, people have like noticed not having love bugs all over their car anymore. Right, right. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that a little, a little later. They are strong flyers. Mm. So they're able they to... They would have to be because they're <laughs> flying for two. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all of their senses are pretty much focused on finding a mate. For food, the adults will eat nectar and pollen, but the larvae eat decaying vegetation. Okay. So they're they're putting in some ecological work. A little bit, but they're not considered pollinators. Or decomposers, I guess. Yeah. Be. Yeah. That's important. Mm -hmm. Don't forget about nature's trash men. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll move on to ingenuity, which I'm only going to give a five out of ten here. Aww. They've, they've got a very singular purpose. <laughs> <laughs> We can all relate to that. I mean, <laughs> what if what if it's that they don't need three days to do it? <laughs> what if that's not like necessary? They're just like having fun. Like, <laughs> what if they're just having a good time? Maybe. So the males do have a bit of a competition on their hands here. Mm. When they're emerging from their pupil stages, the males emerge first. First to know, I guess, is their pupil stage. Uh, they're on the the surface of the ground, like in the grass and at the surface, kind of eating decaying plant matter. So when they're transitioning into their adult forms that can fly, the males emerge first. And then they hover above the ground waiting for the females to emerge. Aww. Now, while they're waiting for the females... He's holding the door open for her. Uh, they're kind of throwing <laughs> elbows to hold that door is the thing. <laughs> Because as the females are still developing, they form a pecking order of sorts. Oh. So what you'll find is that the larger males are closer to the ground than the smaller males. So that he could like be the first one yes. when she gets out of the ground? Yes. That is so funny. And also it's really... <laughs> I'm impressed by the fact that the females are like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let y'all sort yourselves out up in the air. Yeah. And I'm going to wait down here until y'all have all settled. Yes, exactly. It's such a good idea. <laughs> Same, honestly. <laughs> now, once they are paired, uh, which, by the way, they, they basically, once the females emerge, the males will basically grasp on and then they have to land to actually um, intertwine. Oh, I see. And then they take off. But once they are in flight paired together, the female is thought to be in control of their flight, being the larger of the two. Good for her. Now they'll do things together and the female controls what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis there, such as searching for food in places to lay eggs. It 
makes sense now that you said earlier that the female's a little bit bigger than the male. Mm-hmm. So I guess she kind of is like, <laughs> <laughs> she kind of be, by default, like she's got the player one controller. Like yeah. she's <laughs> clearly, she has like gravity on her side. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're searching for food and places to lay eggs during this time. So one of the ways they find places for eggs is they're looking for a place with a decaying plant matter mm. um, for their young to feed on. Now, here's a problem. Unfortunately, they mistake car fumes for the smell of decaying organic material. Oh, is that it? It is. Wow. Huh. I wonder, like, what chemical signal they're responding to. I didn't see a specific one. Is methane? Is that a thing? Like, maybe? I think methane is in both, like, car fumes and, like, decaying matter. Mm. So it's because people noticed that they would swarm around roadways and stoplights and right. gas stations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd just drive through a huge <laughs> cloud of them. Yeah. Interesting. That, yep. I didn't know that that was like, I thought that was just that the population of them was so dense that like anytime you drive anywhere, you're going to drive through a cloud of them. That's what I thought too. But this makes a little bit more sense. That does make more sense. Yeah. They do land at night to rest. So they're they would not, have to. Yeah. They're not, they're not <laughs> flying and swarming the whole time. Next, aesthetics, again, about a 5 out of 10 on this one. I Uh, could see, I mean, they're kind of cute. A little bit, as far as flies go. They have a black color base, and then they they have a spot on the top of their thorax that is like an orange color. Mm Mm-hmm. You know one when you see yeah, it instantly, for sure. like very, mm-hmm. very distinct. So yeah, they're very distinct. But the problem for me personally is I've just seen too many splattered on yeah, cars. That's true. <laughs> they also kind of like their body curls in a weird way too. Yeah, because they're um, what's that part called? The the lower part. The thorax. No, that's the middle part. Abdomen. Yeah, I guess the abdomen, because that that abdomen is segmented, so it can kind of curl up like a, kind of like a worm or a... It's like a articulated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it curls in a strange way that I'm not a huge fan of. But I feel like as a kid, love bugs were one of like the first bugs I was okay with touching. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, they they don't bite you. Yeah, they're harmless. They can't do anything to you. So they were like one of the very few first bugs i was okay with like handling because you could you can literally just grab them right out of the air like they're very oh yeah they're they're slow yeah you can just grab them and like as a kid i you know love bugs were one of the first bugs i would just like catch out of the air and like look at and play with in your hand and um they seem to be attracted to light colored surfaces and freshly painted surfaces as well oh no (laughs) oh they're like leaving their little handprints in the paint like like a real like a human couple that might like write their initials in the paint perhaps (laughs) (laughs) so conservation status wise they don't have any special status now here's the thing like i mentioned they've been absent in recent years in florida Professor Norman Lepla at UF says they don't really know why they've gone away, but they pro- they think they probably won't bounce back, though. Really? Yeah. There hasn't been funding or interest because love bugs in Florida, at least, are not native and are also considered nuisances. Oh, I, I guess I never really realized that they just hadn't hadn't just always been there. Right. I didn't realize how like recent how new they were I mean, on the scene for our lifetimes they've always been there right <laughs> <laughs> i just assumed it was just like part of the scenery right so and they're they're not considered pollinators and they don't really hold much of a place in the local ecology 
So there's just not funding and interest to figure out what's going on with them. Oh, yeah, I guess because they're like, <laughs> all right, like, I guess they were just here for a little while and yeah. now they've left. They were just a visitor. Yeah. And that was from an article titled, Where Did All the Florida Love Bugs Go and Will They Come Back? by Jack Prater at the Tampa Bay Times in 2023. That is really interesting yeah one of those things you might not think too much about until someone brings it up to you and then you're like oh yeah now that you mention it i haven't seen love bugs <laughs> in a few years now at one point in time they caused a lot of damage to car paint um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not usually what you hear about bugs causing damage to <laughs> well it's because of the chemistry of their body and um after they splat on a car on a car's paint <laughs> by the droves and if <laughs> If you didn't clean it off within a couple hours of it happening, then it would cause pits in the, the paint. Uh, now, car manufacturers got better about making their car paint, so, so that, that didn't happen at a chemical level. Interesting. But still, it was it was still annoying when they just have you know physical bug carcasses on your car. <laughs> <laughs> Is this what happened to your, your scion? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a bit, yeah. Yep. Um, and that is the love bug. Wow. That is a little less romantic than I was expecting. Because <laughs> it sounds like they're kind of, they're, they're here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah. Just yeah. three days of a, a whirlwind sort of summer fling. They're going out with a bang. Oh, I don't know if I can put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> See, what you do is you leave it in, but you cut out all of our laughter and reaction to it. <laughs> Just five full seconds of silence. <laughs> For the parents to laugh at it. <laughs> Insert your own laughter here. It's a laugh long at home. Well, thank you so much, Christian. That was delightful. Thank you. And thank you, friends, for listening. I hope that you had a good time with us today. If you liked what you heard, I would love it if you could leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. Like, hold on, I just saw that somebody left one. I saw it today. Faye Nunn is how I'm going to say that, who left a very sweet review. I'm going to just read an excerpt from it. Ellen and Christian feel like my good friends. They're so positive and clever and each episode truly warms my heart. Their enthusiasm and curiosity are infectious. They make me excited to go out and explore the world, even when I'm just on my way to my boring job. Mm. Thank you both for the regular doses of wonder you provide. Reminds me that there's something special and fascinating to discover about nearly everything and everyone if you only try to look and understand. And that's that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for saying so. And if you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. I'll have links to everything in the episode description. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside their amazing lineup of shows, like a couple of really exciting new ones that just got announced. So go check those out. If you want to learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show, go check out MaximumFun.org. And finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music, which I think could do with a little bit of car horns in it. For the, <laughs> the trumpeter swan could get a nice little, get a couple honks in there. Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? A little trumpet solo. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks, friends. Bye. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.